It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. <clears throat> Thank you to all of our musicians and all and all that they do. Good to see all of our visitors this morning. Um, I'd like to give honor to my pastor. Thank you for this opportunity again to minister unto you all. Um, I'm going to take my text out of the Gospel of John. text out of the gospel of John chapter 21 is the last chapter in the book of John we had a we had a great time like brother Grant said on the uh, on the men's uh, men's outing I think this was the first year I went to the men's outing and did not cast my fishing pole not once and it was because the, the 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 waves in Lake Livingston were so bad and uh, so on the way out there um, I was in brother, had the honor of being in brother Delat's boat and, um, he went out there first and he had me sit in front of him, uh, and he kept adjusting me and I realized why just those same waves that was hit getting brother Grant and brother Scotty wet was hitting me and he was completely dry. And so, and he stole my fishing pole. Did you know that he stole my fishing pole? I, t- I tell him he gets on to me every year about not bringing my fishing pole, and when I do, he steals it. So <laughs> it's in his in his truck or in his in his home somewhere. Um, so instead of going fishing, we did the second best thing you can do on a men's fishing trip. We went and played golf. It was a fun time. Uh, John chapter twenty one. John chapter twenty one. I'm going to begin reading with the first verse of scripture. And uh, we went to Catfish King on Friday night and over fried oysters. Brother Grant had the unction of the Holy Ghost come on him and ask if I can uh, speak this morning. And so, and so I had no idea what I was going to preach. And in, in that moment, Brother Howell was sitting there and he came over and sat next next to me. And him and Brother Grant, were, him and Brother Buddy were talking uh, uh, about while they were in in their boat, and Berla Howe had bought a, a cast a casting net, <laughs> and um, and so you used that to cast shad. And they were out in the middle of the lake, and usually you cast the the net towards some kind of embankment or around some rocks or wherever to uh, to catch shad. And uh, I think Brother Grand or someone just told Berla Howe just cast your net, and he's standing there in his boat looking. All around him is nothing but water, land for miles and miles. He said, just cast my net? Yeah, just cast it over there, right there in that spot. It's fine. And he said, I don't understand how that's going to get fish. But, um, and so in that moment, I was like, well, this would be something good to, to, to teach on and, and, and hopefully preach a little bit about. Um, and so I thank Brother John for helping me to preach out of the book of John. And so John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. This is the last chapter in in the book of John, and it says, let me get to it. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the other two of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go fishing. They said unto him, We also go with thee. You see, the, the Bible um, supports men's outing and fishing trips. 
everything in this scripture is completely correct. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. So did we. And that night caught nothing. So did we. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But that disciple knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And they said unto him, Cast. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now there was not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciples whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Thank you for standing with me. Lord, help me to, to preach, teach this morning, anoint your word, touch every honest heart. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So, they said this this event happened approximately about a week after uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here we are a week after, so there you go. A few more things that kind of affirms this. I hope this is for somebody this morning. Um, so the Gospel of John is the fourth and final record of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And John's Gospel is completely uh, starkly different from the other Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels. <clears throat> if you have read the, uh, the Bible, you'll find that the Gospel of John is very indeed different. He talks a lot about the, the deity of who Jesus Christ is. Um, he mentions a lot of things that the other, four, the other three Gospel writers doesn't mention. And some of the stuff that the other three Gospel writers would mention, John doesn't mention. And this particular men's fishing trip, men's outing, um, Matthew and Luke and Mark did not record. The only one that recorded this was um, the Apostle John. Um, and there are, are, there are eight specific miraculous demonstrations that John talks about in his gospel. <clears throat> and this event is the last of the eight miracles that Jesus, that Jesus performs post-resurrection. And so uh, John ends his gospel with a men's uh, fishing trip. And um, like I said, it was very similar to ours where we caught nothing. And uh, Jesus was not there because he was fixing his boat motor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> men's, men's outing. Um, and, and, so the, the, um, and so chapter 20, if you read the chapter prior to this, you find that uh, in chapter 20, uh, they describe three different resurrection scenes where Jesus appears first to Mary Magdalene, then after that he appears to the disciples, and then after that he appears to Thomas. And then chapter 21 is um, some of the commentary in my Bible says that is an appendix of John. The other three Gospels ends with the, the resurrection of Jesus and his visit to his disciples. But the book of John is the only one that doesn't end it there. He adds another chapter of this experience that he has with the Lord. And every time that I read through the Gospel of John, I love chapter 21. It is a, it is a, a very, very powerful um, passage of Scripture. Um, it moves me every time I, I read it. It resonates with me. And so this morning, hopefully we can kind of just go down through that and um, I'll hopefully teach, preach a little bit on it. And so... Um, and so then this epilogue records some unfinished business between Peter and John and their mission for, uh, for Jesus. And so John felt it very important enough to mention it in his, in his gospel. 
and I am, I am so glad that he did. So let me start by saying this, that the apostles have spent three of their years, three years of their lives dedicated to this man named Jesus Christ, and they gave everything that they had to follow him, career, family, future, to follow after this man named Jesus. And they left all that they knew and everyone that they knew to follow after him. And so then three years, three years of signs and wonders and miracles, and we find ourselves coming to a very pivotal point in Scripture where all of this uh, had came to a dead halt. Uh, and as I said, last week was Easter weekend where we celebrated his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so the apostles knew they, that he was dead. They saw him crucified. They knew that he was buried, but they were unsure of if he had really resurrected. And these men, these devout men, held their breath, unsure of what will happen next. All three years of their ministry came to this very pivotal moment. And everything they had seen and given their lives to came down to this moment. And they had to ask the question, was my dedication to this man named Jesus Christ, was it in vain? Did all the miracles that I saw him do, did they really mean nothing? Was all his parables just mere teaching that now that he's dead means nothing at all? Was he really just flesh? Was every miracle that he did, was it just a show? Was it just hocus pocus? Was it just magic? And now death silences that man like it does everybody else. And so... I want you to imagine that the apostles and the disciples and their belief system was rocked at this point in time in their faith and in their walk with God, and they were in turmoil. And they were very unstable at this moment of time in their life. And one particular apostle whom I love, um, the apostle Peter, is unsure if he still wanted to live for God. Thomas can't even be found, and Judas is dead. And there is complete derision everywhere in the camp of the apostles. I want you to know that as Christians and as believers in Jesus Christ, we will have these moments where we would doubt if he is still alive and if he has resurrected. And we'll doubt if living for God is still worth everything that we have given up for him. And in these moments, we will doubt if our dedicated lives and all the Sunday mornings we've been to and all the services we've been to and all our moments of worship and all of our moments of prayer and every prayer that we've ever asked and every miracle that we've ever seen, was it all in vain? These are the same things that the apostles that was circling their minds and in their heads. And we ask ourselves, I left everything for this? And these are moments where we wonder if God is going to resurrect himself in our lives and in our circumstances. And there is a lot of instability in these moments and in these walk with God. Hope I'm hoping to reach somebody this morning. In these dark moments, these thoughts can arise in our hearts. And it's in these moments that some of us might even have thoughts of going back to where it all started. For this was what Peter did. I can only imagine the things going on in Peter's heart. And I love Peter. If there was anyone that was all in for Jesus, it was Peter. If there was anybody that was fully invested in Jesus Christ, it was Peter. But just as quick as 
Peter's commitment was to Jesus, just as quick was his denial. And as a matter of fact, Peter denied the Lord three times on that faithful night. And Jesus even prophesied that he would. The point is that you're not fooling Jesus. He knows if you really love him or if you really don't. And he knows it when it's just lip service. And he knows it when you really mean it. God knows everything in your heart. He knows everything in your mind. You may fool those around you, but you're not going to fool God. And now in now is Peter in a flurry of emotions. Do I love him or do I not? Do I believe in him or do I don't? Is he alive or is he dead? Unsure of what to do, Peter finds himself standing on the seaside of Tiberias. The, the, the gospel of John is the only one that calls this the Sea of Tiberias. Its, it's true name is the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, why is this significant? Because the Sea of Galilee was where it all started for Peter and James and John. Matthew 14, 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway left they their nets and followed him. So, when Jesus no longer worked, they went back to what worked before, or what they thought worked before. And they went back to what they felt secure in. And they went back into what God called them out of. Here's the point. We must be careful that in these moments of instability, in these moments in our walk with God where we're unsure where God really is and if he is really alive or not and if living for him is worth it and, and our foundation is shaken and we cannot sense God and we cannot feel God and we can't hear God and, and, and where we've been so faithful, it seems that he has not been faithful towards us. You've got to be careful not to return back to where God called you from. Peter returned back to the Sea of Galilee because it was familiar to him. It was his old life. It was, has, it was what worked for him in the past. He knew the sea. He knew the area. He knew where the fish was at. He knew the bait to use. He knew what time of the day to fish. It was security, and it was safe for him. It was something that he thought he could always depend on. And if this Jesus thing doesn't work, then I guess my career will. And if this Jesus thing doesn't work, I've got my investments to fall back on. If this Jesus thing doesn't work, then my precious love and my ambitions will. If this Jesus thing doesn't work, I can always go back to what I did before. And I know this sea, and I know how to fish, and I know where the spots are to catch them, and I know what bait to use. Uh, the danger is that we will leave God and return back to depending on our own selves. 
and our own sufficiencies and our own will. And I have seen so many people do this in the past. And I've seen countless people walk away from God uh, because and they, they love God and they're on fire for God and they're obedient to his word. But tragedy strikes their lives uh, and they're unsure what to do. Uh, and, and the devil sows a seed of doubt uh, and they go back to what they ran from. They go back to what God brought them out of. They go back to what used to work and what seems familiar to them. And we tend to resort back by human nature to what feels comfortable to us and to what is familiar. But here is where we tend to forget. If it didn't work for us before, what makes you think it's going to work this time? Peter had no purpose. Peter had no calling. He had no excitement in his life. It was 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, the daily grind, casting nets, scaling fish, washing their nets, selling it, trying to make a profit, rinse and repeat. But when Jesus came into the scene, then there was purpose. There was fulfillment again. Why did you think they just, I was always surprised me. They dropped their, the Bible didn't say, what? come follow me. Okay, boop, drop their nets and follow Jesus. You know why? Because the life they were living didn't have any excitement. The life they were living had no purpose. The life that they were living had no, had no, had no fulfillment. But with Jesus, they got to see and experience things they have never experienced before. They got to see the dead raised, the lame walk, the blind could see. They got to see miracles. They got to see an almighty God speak to a grave and somebody come out of it. Because in your normal, everyday rat race life, you will lose your passion. But if you can find Jesus, he will restore your passion. He will restore and fulfill you. You will see him do things in your life. You have I never thought would be possible. Hallelujah. You see, they were so caught up. This is why so many Fortune 500 CEOs are unhappy. Jeff Bezos is the owner of Amazon. He is declared the richest man on the earth. And, and about last year or so, or a couple months ago, all kind of drama broke out in his life. And I don't know if they're real or not, but... All kind of drama broke out in his life and with his spouse. All kinds of stuff was put out for public con consumption because you can have all that, but you're not going to escape drama. And you're not going to escape the difficulties of this life. But blessed is he who does not stop living for me in uncertainty. Peter was fishing and he was working for himself. He was supporting himself. But when Jesus came, he told Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter found his purpose. Our lives are not meant to be eight to five, where we work and live only for ourselves. But it is meant to help and to save those who are lost. So many people out there are unhappy. They did a, a survey on how many people are unhappy with their careers. And the statistics will boggle your mind. 70% of people unhappy with their lives, unhappy with their jobs, asking the question, what is my purpose? What is my, my passion? I have an answer for you. Your purpose and your passion is realized when you intertwine with God and his purpose. 
We are not meant only to live, work, and retire and die, but there is a lost world. That's why we have National Day of Prayer, and Sister Grant is pushing this so much because there are those who needs to know that he was killed and he was buried, but I saw him resurrect on the third day. It did not take long for Peter to realize that fishing gets boring. It did for us this weekend. When I am with Jesus, there's never a dull moment. The dead are raised. The leap jump. The mute can speak. The leopards are cleansed. Lives are changed. This is the most exciting life that you can live. Students, this is the most exciting life that you can live. Elder, this is the most exciting life that you can live. There is purpose in the cross. There is purpose in Calvary. There is purpose in living for God. And you'll find your passion and your fulfillment when your will intertwines with his. Living for God is much better than just fishing. It is much better and exciting than your career. It has a deeper meaning and purpose than simply living your life. Living for God is much bigger than you can ever imagine. Why do you think kids, why do you think kids 17 years old will fake a passport, join, go out to uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and join up with ISIS? When they were interrogated, they asked, well, I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. Why do you think young kids join gangs? Because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. But let me tell you, there's nothing bigger than the ministry of of what God has for you. There's nothing bigger than the kingdom of God. There's nothing bigger than his work. This is the biggest thing you can be a part of. And guess what? You don't have to give your life for it. He gave his life for you. Let's go through this quickly. They caught nothing. Verse 3. Verse 3, let's go. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself, and there were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples who they do not know. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I go a fishing. I'm going back to what worked before. I'm going back to what before all of this nonsense and craziness happened. Before this Jesus guy came into my life. They said unto him, we also go with thee. You got to be careful. Because when you go back to that life, you don't go back on your own. There are people attached to you. If you are married and you have a family... You have a spouse and children attached to you. And if you go back to that life, they will go back to that life. And you step out of the will of God, they will step out of the will of God. And you step out of that passion, and they will lose their passion. You don't go on your own. They will watch and realize that if daddy chooses career over Jesus, then I guess it's okay if I do it. If daddy chooses his old familiar life, then I guess I can too. And if Jesus didn't work for dad, then who's to say it will work for me? And we put, uh, and we will pull those who we love out of the will of God. 
and strip them of their calling. You must be so careful. There are people watching you and watching your decisions. And, and, and if you leave, they will leave. And if you're lost, they will be lost. And that night they caught nothing. Verse 3. And that night they caught nothing. Peter went back to fishing. And the apostles went back to fishing. They went back to what is familiar. They went back to what did not work before. Thinking it's going to work this time. Here's the point. I said it before. If it didn't work before, what makes you think it's going to work now? In a life without God did not bring you fulfillment and purpose. What makes you think it will now? If a life of fishing for purpose leaves you empty and hollow, what makes you think you'll catch something this time? A life outside of Jesus and a life outside of his will and out of his purpose will result in an empty net. If your career left you with nothing, what makes you think that will change? If your education left you with nothing, what makes you think that will change? If your addictions and old habits left you with nothing, what makes you think that will change? But if a life with Jesus gave you purpose and fulfillment before, it will do it again. If living for God helped you to catch joy you never thought you could catch, and peace you never thought you could catch, and victory that you never thought you could have in your life, and it helped you to catch a purpose and a passion that you thought was lost, then it will do so time and time again. Your previous life did not work, then it will never work. But if Jesus worked, then he will always work. Verse 4. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. They were toiling all night in pitch darkness. Now, we never fish at night. We have a hard time getting up in the morning. We didn't get out in the lake till like 8 o'clock, I think, 8.30. And so they were toiling all night. And I, love this per- and I love this verse because it says Jesus stood on the shore, but, they, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus was watching them the whole time they were toiling. Jesus was there in pitch black darkness. They could not see Jesus, but Jesus could see them. When you work, and it may seem dark, and it may seem like there is no sunshine, and the sun will not rise, and you're toiling, and you're working, I want to remind some faithful saint, God is watching you from the shore, and he sees your struggle, and he sees your toil. He is just far enough to where you can't see him or hear him, but he's close enough that if you ever make up your mind, I can't do this without God, you can get to him. The Bible says he was 200 cubits away from them. You know what that is? That's 100 yards. That's a football field. And he saw them. 
toiling and he saw them working. I don't know about you, but Jesus sees and he knows everything that you're going through. He sees everything that you struggle with. He sees that you're toiling. He sees that you're working. He sees that you're pursuing something else in hopes that it will fulfill what Jesus did for you and not be able to find it. He knows exactly where you're at. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, have you any meat? That has got to be the funniest verse of scripture. Because Jesus knows that they have no, haven't caught anything. First off, they didn't even know who he was. Can you, can you imagine fishing at night and, and, and you're delirious and you're upset and you're frustrated? Peter is in a loincloth. I mean, he has lost all of his mind. And on the shore is this stranger yelling at him. And we do that. Whenever we fish, we'll kind of take out binoculars, you know, take binoculars out and see if anybody's catching anything. And if they are, you kind of ease up right next to them. Or you'll yell you know, from one boat to another, you all catch anything? And Jesus was doing the same thing. And Jesus knew they didn't catch anything. So why did Jesus ask them if you've caught anything? Because he wanted them to realize they haven't caught anything. Because the scripture says they answered and told him no. Peter was probably, probably wouldn't know. It probably was no. Look at us. I'm in a loincloth. You think this is a good fishing trip? But God wanted them to realize. God asked us rhetorical questions. Not so that he, not, not because he doesn't know the answer. He wants you to realize that you have caught nothing without him. Adam, where art thou? He knows where Adam is at. He wanted Adam to know where he was at. You caught nothing. Yes, because without me, you will catch nothing in this life that is worth living and breathing and sacrificing for. And I wanted them, he wanted them to hear, without me, there is no purpose. Without me, you're not catching anything. Without me, you will not be successful. Without me, there will be no hope. But he had to hear them. You caught anything? No, no. Caught anything? Sorry for my theatrics. Some of you are falling asleep. This is not good preaching. Brother Grant did not teach me this. You're not supposed to do this. <laughs> and he said, verse six. Here, here's the crazy. Here's here's the wonderful thing. When you realize that you can't do this on your own, that's when the fun begins. Verse 6, and he said unto him, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. Brother Howe was like, well, you just cast the net? When Jesus tells you to cast the net, just cast the net. Because you have got to learn to cast if you're going to catch. If you never cast your faith, you'll never catch your miracle. 
It may not make sense, and you may not see land for miles, and you've told all night, but if the master says, cast your nets, you better learn, okay, which way? And if there's a right side to cast the net, then there's got to be a wrong side. You know what the wrong side is? When you cast your net outside the will of God, and you try to do something on your own, but if you learn to cast it in in God's word, and out of faith, he will reward it. You will catch something. You may have told all night. He knows where you're at. He knows your struggles. He knows that you have not caught anything and you're about to lose your mind. But hear me one more time. You've got to cast on the right side. The right side is what his word says it is. His right side is in his will. His right side is a faithful life for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they cast therefore. And now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. You see, when you cast on the wrong side, you'll have nothing. But when you cast on the right side, there'll be so much blessings in your life, you can't even pull it back up into the boat. Woo. Oh, I hope this is for somebody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. How did he know that it was the Lord? <laughs> First off, you've got to be careful who's in your boat. Because they can launch you into your calling. And they can launch you into God's purpose. Or they can keep you from it. He said it is the Lord. Well, how did he know? You have to read what happened in verse 6. Because what happened in verse 6 reminded John of what happened. In the past. Luke chapter 5. Sorry, Brother Hav, I'm making you jump all over the place. Luke chapter 5, I'll turn to my Bible. Beginning with verse 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep. Listen, if you're going to catch anything and do anything miraculous for God, you've got to launch out into the deep. God is not in shallow waters. He is not in shallow prayer, shallow commitment, shallow reading of his word, shallow church going. But if you want to catch a multitude of blessings, God is found in the deep. Deep prayer, deep commitment, deep faithfulness, deep reading and devotion to his word. And let your nets down for a drought. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. Can you see deja vu right now? <coughs> we have toiled all night. And have taken nothing. Now that's a good men's fishing trip. Nevertheless, at thy word, 
I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell down, on, uh, fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Almost done. Verse 9, For he was astonished, all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. Verse 10, and so also was James and John. Can you say deja vu? Which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Here's the verse. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. That was the miracle of that saved their life. That was the miracle that changed their lives. That was the miracle that pulled them out of their situation, pulled them out of what they came from into a life with God and a commitment to Him. And when their faith was rocked, Jesus had John write one more chapter. So that anybody who reads it, I want to remind them that I brought them out of this situation. And if they go back to it, the same result will happen. But if they would cast their nets at my word, they will pull back a blessing that is so big and so mighty that they can't, they can't pull it back into the boat. What am I trying to say? I hope you never forget where God brought you from. Hey, we weren't always wearing ties. We didn't always have good haircuts. We were not always coloned up and perfumed up because God found us somewhere out there and we were cleaning our nets and we had no purpose and he gave you purpose and he gave you life and he gave you passion and he changed it. And just because he doesn't come back from the dead when you want him to, you're going to start doubting, is living for God really good? Should I really keep coming back to church? Should I keep raising my children in this? Should I? Should I? Let me go back. No, he will remind you. God will remind you. And you'll have a deja vu moment. This isn't worth it. I've got to get back to God. This isn't worth it. It didn't work before. Alcoholism won't save you uh, or your family, but Jesus Christ will. Uh, dipping tobacco won't save you uh, or your family, uh, but Jesus Christ will. Uh, you can be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and have depression uh, and live off Xanax uh, and never be happy. Uh, but in him, cast your nets. You see, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Cast your nets where Jesus is. Cast your nets. Woo! Hallelujah. I see. This is, he loves Peter. He loves Peter. <laughs> he said, I, he's, I gave him the keys to the kingdom. I've got to get to him. 
And the only way I can get to him is if I reenact in his life what I brought him out of. Verse, oh, I got to get back to my chapter. I'm going to come to a close quickly. Hallelujah. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved sent to Peter, it is the Lord. And here is Simon Peter's classic personality. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. I told you. And did cast himself into the sea. This is not the first time Peter has cast himself into the sea for Jesus. Now my question is, why did he put on a fisher's coat to swim to the shore? Who swims in a coat? It would have made perfect sense for him just to dive in the water. Because Peter understood something in the Old Testament. That the priests before they came to God in the Holy of Holies, had to be covered. Fully robed. And Peter realized there is nothing in this life. And he jumped into the water because he knew who he was swimming to. He wasn't just a man. It was God robed in flesh. And if I'm going to come before God robed in flesh, I better make sure I am covered from head to toe. Here's another decision he had to make. They just pulled all that fish from, from, from the lake into their boat. And Peter had to make a decision. Will my current success, is that more important? than Jesus on the shore. And I don't see anywhere where Peter doubted, but as soon as he heard it was the Lord, he jumped and cast himself right into the sea because Peter realized that my current success and what I have now and everything I've got going for me is never worth Jesus on the shore. Your success is not better than what you have right now. Uh, what you, your, your assets uh, and your investments uh, is not greater than a life uh, with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And I hope uh, that when that moment comes, uh, you'll choose Jesus uh, over what you have in the boat. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. I'm closing. I feel the Holy Ghost. Someone in here, you think your success is going to do it for you. No, it won't. No, it won't. It never will. But Jesus will. Jesus will. Verse 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits. Dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coal and fish laid thereon and bread.
Jesus. They were toiling all night for what Jesus already had on the shore. They worked eight to five. They chased after their ambitions. They chased after things they thought could make them happy. They toiled for fish and couldn't get it. But when they got to shore, Jesus has everything they could ever need or want. He had warmth. He had fish. He had bread. Listen, what's the point, Brother Bowie? Here's the point. Uh, what you're chasing after and what you're going after is not worth it. Uh, just get to Jesus. He's got everything you could need, uh, and it's already on the shore waiting for you. Oh, someone is doubting. Someone thinks what they have is better, and you're making good money. But listen to me. You'll lose Jesus and all of that. He is worth more than a multitude of fishes. He is worth, the, he is the treasure that you'll sell the field for, Brother Grant. You're talking about treasure. He is the treasure you'll sell the field to buy. You'll, you'll sell everything to buy the field to get. He's the pearl of great price. Hallelujah. This chapter is all about, all about Peter. Hallelujah. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net full of great fishes. Jesus said unto them, come and dine. Verse 13, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Do you need Jesus this morning? Have you been laboring? Have you been trying? You've tried all kinds of stuff. You've done everything imaginable. You've toiled all night. But I want you to know Jesus has everything it is that you need. He already has the fish. He already has the fire. He already has the bread. You just got to get to Him. Hallelujah. And Peter, Peter's mind is so distraught. He is doubting his calling. Because he denied the Lord three times. And the last thing that John records is this conversation he has with Peter. Over the same fire that Peter denied him. And as Peter was warming his hands, he says, Lovest thou me, Peter, more than all of these? Lord, you know I love you. That made up for the first denial. Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know I love you. That made up for the second denial. Hey, Peter, lovest thou me? And as Peter snapped after the, when, when he was denying, after the third question, he cursed at, at the woman and, and said, I don't know the man. Well, this time he says, thou knows it all. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus reconciled Peter when he thought he was can't be reconciled again. Hallelujah. Listen, if you messed up, 
if you think you've let God down <laughs> and you toil all night to make it right, He is on the shore. He is on the shore waiting to ask you and to restore you and to forgive you. Uh, he has fish and He has bread. He's got everything you could need. I don't know who you are. Would you come this morning? Let me, we'll pray for you. You don't have to tell us what you're going through. You don't have to tell us what your need is. But Jesus has everything you need this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't we all come to the front, if you would, as they sing.
We've heard powerful teaching this morning.